It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. All right, Red, Sony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. A Salabrese, Van Dijk-Ace, and the Blues put firmly in their place. We'll get into the Merseyside derby, we'll wish Big Dom a happy birthday, and assess his Anfield's impact before looking back on Damien Camoli's time <laughs> as Liverpool's transfer guru, ahead of Toulouse's visit on Thursday. And to do all that, back from their own international breaks, we have James Pearce and Simon Hughes. But as ever, we'll start with those three words. Simon. You always come to me first, don't you? Um, unlucky Jordan Pickford. Unlucky Jordan Pickford. That's cruel. That is really cruel. <laughs> he's always complaining, isn't he? He's always... He's always, he's always the first to chirp up, isn't he, Pickford, about some sort of thing that's gone wrong to ever know himself. It's part of his whole persona, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he probably should have made a bit more of effort with the penalty, shouldn't he, really, rather than just <laughs> fall into his knees like he'd been speed in the throat. James? I'm playing it safe with Derby Day Delight. Oh, Derby Day Delight, I like you it. You can't beat it. When there's a little bit of controversy attached to it, it just makes it even better then. Do you know, it's it's always better with a little bit of controversy. It's it's more fun. I mean, there are decisions occasionally in football that'll turn a game completely nutty and you say, that is an outrage and it would have been very different. I'm not entirely sure the decisions at Anfield would have done that to the scoreline. But anyway, let's see what they're saying over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. I'll keep the crueler ones out of it. Uh, Adrian James says more of this. Ian Hartley says another three points. And David Adderton, Sean Donoghue, Andrew Simmonton all say 1995, which is cruel. For those who don't know, that's when Everton last won a trophy. And many of you people out there weren't alive then, were you? Generations have grown up since then. It's tough being a blue. (laughs) To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Well, another game, another red card. Just this time, not for Liverpool, which makes a change, doesn't it, say? Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, I'm sure, well, a lot of the Evertonians are saying it should have been a red card for Liverpool, but I'm sure we'll get on to that in a minute. I mean, the strange thing about the game was that I thought Liverpool were much better when Everton had 11 on, 11 on the pitch. It was only when they went that down. That frequently happens, doesn't it? It does, it does happen a lot. And to be fair, I think you've got to... It's not just maybe a switching mentality in the Liverpool players, but I, I do think the the decision at half time by Deitch to switch the formation around definitely helped Everton in, in that sort of twenty minute period, thirty minute periods after the into the second half. The one thing Deitch does really well is that flexible back five. Yes, yeah. Well, I do think he's a better manager than people tend to think, and I, um, I agree. I think. Everton actually played with more pep, more purpose, and they were more convincing than they have been in 
any game at Anfield since Ancelotti. I think that's probably fair to say. But that, you know, it's, it's a very you know, bear in mind some of those performances have been terrible. That, that's a very yeah. small sample. It is. It is. Yeah, it's a very small sample, and the performances have been so bad, you know, and so negative in some of those games. But anyway, the the, the point that I'm leading towards is that you know, there seems to be a lot of discussion around Ashley Young's red card, and. I found the conversation initially about it very odd because I, I I actually was at Anfield on at the weekend and I, I, I watched the game on Sky and lapped to the defence of Ashley Young straight away, some of the commentators. Um, I was thinking if if that had been a, an 18-year-old fullback or a young fullback like Nathan Patterson diving in so quickly after just got a red card when the player he's trying to stop is as close to the goal as Diaz was, it wouldn't be the same reaction. I think he's getting the benefit of the doubt in the reaction because of the age of the player. It's almost like, oh, you know, a 38, 39-year-old player would not make this sort of juvenile error. I mean, I think it's two yellow cards, um, a red card, unfortunately. I'll let James take on the issue of Canate, if you want. Yeah, I think what, what kind of made me chuckle was I noticed even last night, Canate was still trending on social media. And it was, it was about 48 hours plus after the game. And it was only, what, a couple of weeks ago when rival fans were telling every Liverpool fan that you just had to accept that some decisions go your way, some go against you, you know, you just have to move on. I do think, as as much as Canate was lucky, there's absolutely no question about that. I think probably seven, eight, maybe even nine times out of ten, a referee would have given a second yellow for that foul on Beto. Definitely, definitely. But... I also think it's hardly comparable, is it, to some of the ones that have gone against Liverpool, especially what happened at Tottenham. Because you know, when it was when it was eleven v eleven, Liverpool were the dominant force. They were the only team trying to win that game. You know, Everton were resolute but incredibly limited and didn't show any attacking intent. And even I think even if it had gone down ten v ten, I still think there's a very good chance Liverpool would have still won that game. Because I think it, it probably would have opened things up a little bit, which would have suited Liverpool. Liverpool also had far better substitutions. Klopp does deserve credit for how he impacted the game in the second half. He's been half. really good with the substitutions this year, hasn't he? Yeah, it does feel like an area that's massively improved. And Simon's right, I think Liverpool initially struggled to to kind of cope with Dice changing the shape. And, and he did frustrate Liverpool for you know, a good 20, 25 minutes in that second half. But yeah, I thought Harvey Elliott, was exceptional again when he came on, really purposeful in possession, always looking to move it forward. And Nunes is just such a handful, isn't he? He just asks completely different questions of a defence. So, yeah, I think, yes, there was an element of good fortune, but let's not beat around the bush. Liverpool were more than worthy winners on the day. It was just, they had to be patient. And it, it wasn't a game that will live long in the memory. I think, in fact, it'd be one of those ones in 10 years' time where someone will mention it and I'll be looking it up on lfchistory.net trying to remember what happened because it wasn't particularly memorable. But then I think being a 12.30 straight after the international break, it was probably never likely to be. Salah, what? I mean, he stunk the place out, didn't he? You know, and that's the thing. You know what I love most about strikers? They stink and they score. I remember when I was young, I was at the match with me dad. And I forget who it was, but we come away and Toshak had scored too. And I said to him, Dad, Toshak was terrible. And he looked down at me with all the scorn of further can pour onto his son and said, he scored twice. I said, but he was rubbish. And he was like, <sighs> well, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a strange arc to Salah's career because although he scored sort of 40 
40 odd goals in his first season. I still don't think he's ever truly been sort of recognised as a prolific goal scorer, despite the number of goals that he's scored. It's it's almost like people still think he misses quite a lot of chances, which he doesn't. He tends to, you know, finish his chances off. And, he, you know, he didn't have many on, on Saturday. And, I mean, I had a bit of sympathy with him actually on, on Saturday because I agree with James. I think the substitutions are right. And they could have been made a little bit earlier, actually. But I think that Salah's positioning on Saturday, again, somebody will probably get a heat map and correct me on this, but it just did, did feel like he was too far away from goal on a lot of occasions. Given that Liverpool had, you know, the extra man, and I don't understand why this happens, but they had too many players sort of cutting in infield from their position. And Salah was tucked away on the touchline too often because Trent was going infield, you know. So it meant that he couldn't, it felt, it felt like he, he didn't have many players around him a lot, you know, to play off. So he was having to sort of do a lot of stuff by himself and it wasn't coming off. I mean, when he got the penalty, I was, I was a little bit concerned because I was thinking literally nothing's come off here for him. But uh, it was a great penalty. I mean, at the end of the day now, I've said it several times, but I just think that he guarantees sort of 20 to 25 goals a season. He always delivers when it matters. Well, he mostly delivers when it matters in the big game. So, you know, in terms of importance, I mean, I think that Liverpool were right to keep hold of him in the summer. Although his game's changing, it doesn't feel like he's slowing up at all. You know, he's just... He's still affecting the game in whatever way he can. And he's just he's just crucial to everything that happens for Liverpool. Like I said, I hope he has stinkers like that every week. Liverpool clear. Off goes Darwin Nunez. And we know he's quick. And he's got Mo Salah up there with him. And he plays it to Mo Salah! Who clinches the Merseyside derby for Liverpool? James, I think your piece, which was brilliant, about Van Dijk, pointed to another side of the the other side of the pitch where we had another player who was imperious and who actually was in brilliant form. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it puzzles me a bit, some of the, the critiques of Van Dijk over the recent months. And, he, you know, especially in Holland, he's been getting a lot of criticism with, as a national team, they haven't been having a particularly great time of it, huffing and puffing in pursuit of qualification for the Euros next summer. And, and of course, it just feels like, I don't know, because he's now 32 and... It feels like there's almost whenever there's an, any kind of error, it feels like it's pounced on as something. Well, that's proof he's finished, and is you know he's not. You know, he would never have made that mistake two years ago or three years ago. You know, not been the same player since the the Crucia injury. And, and of course, when you suffer an injury that bad, you know, it took him a long, long time to get back to anywhere near the level he was at after missing so much football. But his performance against Everton just underlined how important he still is to Liverpool. He's by far and away their their most composed and gifted defender. I mean, we expected their physicality to play a part in the game and Calvert-Lewin got that early header in. He seemed to jump too early, but clearly he's a difficult player to play against. But then effectively that physicality stopped being a factor, didn't it? Yeah, it did because Van Dijk just, he, he was at his imposing best I thought in terms of and that and that made it very difficult for Everton to kind of keep the ball and to try and have any little spells of pressure themselves because Calvert-Lewin wasn't able to keep hold of it you're right he had that sighter didn't he inside probably 45-50 seconds that was straight at Allison, but he didn't have another glimpse at goal for the rest of the contest and yeah when you look at Van Dijk's numbers from the game I think it was over you know 90% plus pass completion rate 12 out of 17 duels he won that he, out of the 17 he'd contested. 
And yeah, I just thought as well, like he was he was important that at times in the game when Liverpool could have got ragged and got frustrated and you could sense a bit of restlessness creeping in, you know, in the stands, the fact that they haven't made their dominance count. I think he was crucial just in terms of calming it down all around him. You know, he does exude that calmness and composure that is vital on a day like that. And um, yeah, I just think when we go back to the summer and all those big personalities that left the club, um, you know, it's quite rare to lose your captain and your vice captain in the same transfer window. But he's been he's been huge in terms of, you know, there's been so much attention on the injection of quality into the squad. And, you know, it's certainly more vibrant and youthful with the, the, the players that came in. But he's also stepped up after, you know, I think he held his hands up at times last season that he wasn't at his best. And of course, you know, it was such a gr- grueling season for everyone, especially with, you know, he had the World Cup in the middle of it as well. But yeah, I, I just think he is absolutely central to this resurgence we're seeing this season. Yeah, and at least Pickford didn't get at him. Um, there's sometimes I looked at him during his, what people call his pomp, you know, the, the people who criticised him this season. And I thought he was a bit too laissez-faire to be a captain. He's a bit too, I wouldn't say casual, but a little bit too laid back. But his captaincy skills are to the fore at the moment, how do you say? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be accused of revisionism here because in the summer I did write that I, I felt the trend should have been captain ahead of Van Dijk. For some of the reasons that James touched on, I just sort of felt he needed to focus on his own game, really. You know, it was a season last season where, you know, arguably there was only one or two players in the Liverpool team who played anywhere near, you know, the expected levels. And, I, you know, I was concerned that he didn't seem to have that presence that he that he once had on the pitch. There's been evidence, more evidence this season in some games that he has. There's also been some evidence in some games where he's been caught out a little bit. But I, I, I thought that the performance against Everton is one that should give him a massive amount of confidence because all players suffer from confidence. It could be a bit of that with him as well. You know, the, the injury that he had was horrendous. I, I, I sometimes look back at the picture from that from that moment and just think, how has he come back from it? Really, it was it was horrendous. Really, so it's taken him time to sort of. To get back up to speed, I even felt the season when he went really close to, to you know, to to achieving the quadruple. He wasn't quite at that level again. And then last season there was the drop off, and you're just beginning to wonder. But I think that performance on Saturday very good, with the caveat, I guess, that he was up against Calvert Lewin, who's a player who ch- challenges you physically. But Everton were just not getting many players forward worthy in terms of the channel area. And then when the other man sent off, I suppose as a defender you do have a little bit more space again. You know, obviously reading James's report, there was some interesting details in there and, and like sort of how, you know, he, he sort of tries to change things a little bit, you know, and find his own voice, which I think is always encouraging that he, he's he's thinking about like how to, to get inside the players' heads a little bit and his teammates. So, I mean, let's let's have it right. Virgil van Dijk, no matter what from here, he's still one of the Liverpool greats at his best. He, he's absolutely unbelievable player. I just loved watching him play, like just... Pleasure being able to go to some of those games in the period after he signs. I just hope he can get back to that, you know, that peak level that he was at. Because when he was the, when he was at that level, there was no better defender in the world for me. Hello there, Io here. Listen to me on the Athletic Football Podcast, where we go deep on the biggest stories in the game, providing insight and analysis from the very best journalists in the business. You won't get this anywhere else. Available now on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search the Athletic Football Podcast now.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Virgil van Dijk has replaced Jordan Henderson as the Liverpool captain, and it seems to be working quite nicely. But what about the player who effectively replaced him positionally? Well, Shabazz like what's a start he's had, James. And it continues on Saturday. He's just a class act, isn't he? He's um I've got to be honest, it's been a been a big surprise to me because I'd only seen little glimpses of him really from I'm not an avid Bundesliga watcher, but it is remarkable just the ease with which he has slotted in and just looks the part, doesn't he? He's been by far and away the most impressive of the of the four new boys that came in in the summer. I think he's just got a real nice mix of like you can see how self confident he is in terms of you know he struts around, he plays with a bit of a swagger which you need because joining a club as big as Liverpool at times could be overwhelming, and some people struggle to handle that expectation and pressure and scrutiny that comes with it. But he just looks like he's absolutely born to play for Liverpool. You can see how much it means to him. Yeah, everything from his athleticism, his range of passing, his creativity. His, you know, lethal long-range efforts. He's just a joy to watch. And although I, t- I still think the comparisons with Steven Gerrard are a little bit premature because it was such so early days. But it's not just the number on his back that is sparking those comparisons at the minute. I mean, I've seen the comparisons with with Gerrard, but he's got that sort of straight-backed, you know, elegance that Tunes had. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like yeah. real confidence. The way he sort of pops the ball about, ball around quickly and sharply, whilst having the skill as well, you know. So for me, it reminds me a little bit of that when you watch the videos. That there are there is a comparison to be made. I understand, you know, Zabozlai probably isn't gonna, you know, elbow somebody in the face or maybe sort of go out as soon as did uh, to have a war with people. There, there but, is still games to be played in the Europa League. He can break a Bulgarian's <laughs> jaw at some point. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, he just reminds me of that a bit more. Like he's got different sort of body language to, to Gerard almost. You know, he, he just have that passing. That's sort of the way he, he, the longer range passing. I get that. It's more the shorter stuff, the shorter, the, the dirty, the sort of the stuff that people don't like. He seems to relish, yeah. which is what I really like about him. More, I mean, I, I obviously love you know visually the passing's great to watch, but I just like I just really love the fact he really seems to enjoy the sort of the, the, the harder side of the game that they're running and the you know the chasing back and. Sort of, you know, getting in the work. He, he's really good position. He sort of always seems to find himself in those channels when they're trying to, 
the opposition's trying to break. He's very good at that as well. So he's got he's got a bit of everything really, which you don't often see in midfielders now. They always seem to be one or the other. Whereas he seems to be able to do both of it, which is for Liverpool, you know, brilliant. Yeah, it, it, he's a, a great up and down midfielder. I'd say that um, he's much more mobile than Souness was. I mean, to be kind to Champagne Shirley, he had an economy of movement, whereas you know Sabozlai doesn't. He's and I think that's where. I think you're right. It's sort of a comparison between the two of them. I mean, that's where when he bursts forward, it reminds me of Gerard. But as you say, he does all the the nuts and bolts, the the short passes, the finding an angle, and the movement from that, which is you know it's exciting to watch. Yeah, you know, very much so. I agree with you. Yeah, he's the first midfielder I think in the in the Klopp era who's who's really got me excited. I think because in the Klopp era, it's mainly been you know the forwards and the the, the wider fullbacks who've done. This sort of more eye-catching things, whereas uh, Zobosly seems to be able to to do that on, on, on the other side of the game, which I think again is is sort of a reflection of how the team's changed over the last couple of years and what they're trying to do now. Yeah, I mean, up until this summer, the midfield was about was a functional unit, providing balance, protecting the back four, pressing, not really a creative unit, but. I mean, things have changed completely, and and much of the perceptions are all down to him. You know, he's changed the way we look at the Liverpool midfield. Having said that, James, what about the other ones? McAllister has been playing our position. I mean, I've heard a few grumblings from a few malcontents, but I think he's done a really effective job. Yeah, I, I think I, I thought it was interesting. Actually, I was watching back when I got back from Anfield on Saturday. I watched back Van Dyke's interview with TNT Sports after the game, and he was—I think he said something like, "You know, McAllister, you know, I've been I've been playing maybe on a position that." I don't know if he really, really wants to play there, but you know he has the quality to play anywhere in the midfield, and with the ball, especially, he's outstanding. I think there is an element of that you can see because he is—he is being asked to do something that he hasn't really done previously. Because he, yes, he has played deeper in his career, you know, at Brighton, but that was in a system when he had Caicedo for company alongside him. So it is—it is different, and and I think I think it, my personal opinion is it works fine against the more limited teams. I just worry. What is going to happen if Klopp perseveres with that when, you know, you've got Man City coming up after the next international break, where we've got United and Arsenal coming to Anfield before Christmas as well. So, yeah, I, I kind of had hope by now we'd have seen a bit more of Wataro Endo. Strange in a way, because he, obviously he got brought off, didn't he, at half time against Union before the international break. And I think most people thought well, that was be- that'll be because he's going to be starting at Brighton on the weekend. And then he didn't feature against Brighton, was on the bench again, unused against Everton. Still only started that one Premier League start, um, one, one Premier League game, sorry, that was obviously up at Newcastle. So, yeah, I mean, I think Endo just falls into that category, doesn't he, of players we've seen previously under Klopp, who Klopp obviously feels needs more training time to get to grips with what he wants from him. But yeah, I still see that number six position that has, there's just that nagging fear it could hurt Liverpool further down the road. We've spoken before, haven't we, about how most players who come in from Fodden Leagues get a bit of time, don't need to, to sort of adjust. You know, even Fabinho, who done really, really well with Monaco in the Champions League, people forget he didn't get into the team for a couple of months, really, and there was a big clamour about why. Where Zabosly has, has come in straight away and just adjusted to what Klopp's expectations are. And it's, you know, it's not easy playing for Liverpool. You've got to be fit as... <laughs> to be able to play in the first instance. And then you've got to know exactly what the manager wants, which are very specific 
instructions and needs really so really shows sort of what an impact he, he must have made on the training ground yeah it will be interesting because I, I i agree with james i think that area of the pitch he needs a specialist in that role ultimately and though was it you know, a late signing who Liverpool panic buy. If they, if they, well, it was because it ultimately they wanted to try and sign somebody else, didn't they? And they bid for somebody else, so it shows, I guess, that you know he certainly wasn't the first pick anyway. And if he'd have got Caicedo, it's fair to assume that he would have gone straight into the team. Bearing in mind, you know, he's a Premier League experienced player. The Premier League matters, of course, in that experience, but it's, it's more the expectations of Klopp at, at the training ground, which are which are just as significant, I would say. And one one sort of follows the other, I guess. But um, I, I, we haven't spoken about Gravenberg either. Have we? I mean, it was sort of a in and out game, really. I thought in the derby, and I, I just feel at the moment that balance isn't quite there in the midfield. Um, and it's it's going to be harder as well, of course, because Andy Robertson's not there. Uh, who knows his role within that sort of left flank as well? So it sort of feels a little bit unbalanced at, at certain times. Um, but it's still early days, isn't it? I mean, it's quite a dramatic thing that's happened at Liverpool, really. Very rarely, you know, in Liverpool's recent history, have they had this much change over the course of a summer. You know, it started all right, I would say, to be honest. I didn't expect them to to produce the results that they have done so far. And more often than not, won quite easily against reasonably sta- reasonable standard opposition. The balance will come, I think. It's just a case of getting people up to the level that he needs them. Because, you know, you don't bring three new players in the midfield and expect them, everything to change. Go back to Sabaz, like, you know, he's 23 today. It's remarkable. You know, he's nowhere near his peak, you'd think. But, James, who was the last player you think has had such an impact as him coming into the club? I mean, we talk about Van Dijk, but that seemed to be to grow over, you know, the months. Again, Mohamed Salah, when he first come in, people were talking more about the chances he missed than the, the ones he was scoring, even though he was scoring. I mean, I think back, Torres, who would look fully formed and had an impact. Who have you got in mind? I mean, obviously a very different type of impact, but you'd probably have to throw Alisson into the mix, wouldn't you, in terms yeah, of yeah. just the, the calibre of the upgrades being so ridiculously startling going from going from Loris Carriers to, to Allison, But yeah, I, I think I'd probably chuck Van Dijk in the mix as well, just because I think, you know, when you look to where Liverpool were at then, you know, no one would have given them a prayer of going all the way to the Champions League final in the way they did. And his his arrival really triggered that. But yeah, it, it is a rarity. It really is. And, that, and that's why it is so exciting. And it's difficult not to get carried away when you see someone so young with so many qualities almost everything if you were doing a tick list of everything you'd want to see from an elite midfielder Zabos like I can't think of anything he doesn't appear to have in the locker you just you you just hope that he can maintain the standards that he's been set yeah I mean you know you don't become hungry captain do you at the age of 22 unless you're a bit different you know that's not normal that was given to him as a vote from the squad that's a sign of just the kind of pedestal that, that he's placed on and I think that's probably helped him as well coming into that dressing room and you know yes he's young just turning 23 this week uh, and I know his family are all over for the Toulouse game to kind of celebrate his birthday with him but he's an old 23 if that makes any sense whatsoever just in terms of the experience he's already got at a high level we're talking about someone who could be the fulcrum of this team for you know the next decade does that make you a young 45 James 
I was a very young 45, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's retained his players' good looks, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Most, most definitely. I had none, none to lose. <laughs> <laughs> On to lose. <laughs> On to lose. Ah, oh, beautiful, that. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Toulouse are owned by Red Bear Capital, who also have 10% stake in FSG, which uh, always makes me feel a little weird. The investments in different clubs across Europe, but the authorities seem fine with it. And and also the two clubs have in common a certain Damien Camoli. You'll have noticed a sniggered earlier on when I mentioned his name. And he's now the chairman of Toulouse. He was Fenway Sports Group first sporting director taken over in 2010 before being sacked in 2012. Well, say, Damien Camoli. Well, divides opinion, definitely. Um, clinical sort of... Well, yeah, I think he took... Well, he divides opinion in sense of there's Damien Camoli's opinion and everybody else's opinion. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> um, me and James were actually speaking about this a little bit the other day, about how he, he would argue, of course, that he was the one who committed all that money to Jordan Henderson and look what service Liverpool got out of him, which is a fair point, I guess. The context needs to be, I suppose, that it, was, it wasn't it was an easy time to be a Liverpool player, a Liverpool manager or a Liverpool employee, full stop, because you know it was very early on into the FSG era. That said, he did have quite a lot of money to play with off the back of Kenny Dalglish's really good you know, start to his, his second spell as manager. Some of those signings obviously did not, quite hit the mark, Stuart Downing being one. But the, the big one really for him was Andy Carroll, who obviously spent made, made him Liverpool record signing and I you know ended up getting Camoli the sack essentially. That was what he was sacked for. The irony being that two, three days later, Andy Carroll saves Liverpool in the FA Cup semi-final against Everton uh, and sends them through to the final, which I think if you were to ask any Liverpool fan, like, was Andy Carroll worth it? Well, that moment 
makes it worth it, doesn't it? Really, I think people will will justify anything by a moment on the pitch. Because let's face it, you know, we were talking about it before. If Liverpool lose that game, you know that's it. That's a, a result that Evertonians would be talking about until now, I guess. So, so yeah, I mean, I I I didn't really know him that well, but I did. Um, Funny enough, I bumped into him at the Champions League final in Paris after all the chaos had sort of ensued, and I managed to get through into the into uh, the gate where I was queuing up outside. And he was right in front of me. He was just around loads of Liverpool fans, and I don't think anybody noticed who he was. To be honest, he wasn't getting bothered by anyone. So I, I just sort of, in a non-professional basis, just said hello to him, and he just seemed to be made up that somebody had recognised him. Basically, it was a bit. A little bit sad in some ways. Well, I've, I've probably got the, uh, the the figure wrong. I always remember John Emery saying to me, he was, on, he was blazing about when Camoldi's name come up. And he said, um, you know, he said, Newcastle rescued 24 million. We sent Camoldi there and he bid them up to 35. <laughs> and like that, that that's sadly going to be his legacy, isn't it, James? Did you deal with him much? Oh, I had a few fleeting dealings with him, but not, not many. I know he's... Um... When he has spoken about it and done interviews, he's very keen to to talk up his role in the Jordan Henderson signing and how he, you know, I think he came on the Athletic podcast a couple of years ago actually and said that essentially signing Jordan Henderson got him the sack and now look at him, you know, winning Footballer of the Year and being the captain that won the Champions League and the Premier League. But I think that kind of overlooks the Andy Carroll one, which... As much as Simon is right, that moment against Everton was one to savour. I'm not convinced FSG <laughs> saw, it, saw it in such a positive. I didn't think they were there. they were kicking themselves afterwards, going we've we've sacked the wrong fella here because you know I think how little they valued the FA Cup was underlined by the fact that I think Kenny could have won a domestic cup double and, and probably still would have got the sack because. They cared about top four, didn't they, and getting Liverpool back in the, the Champions League. So a real mixed bag. I mean, you know, of course he you know, he did deal for to sign Suarez as well. You can't can't over, well, Suarez over that. was shopped around wasn't he, by everyone. He was offered to to Tottenham first and you know Yeah, but he still Suarez was still one of the nine that was signed on on his watch and yeah, there was a there was a you know Obviously, Carol and Henderson are the two highest profile ones. Jose Enrique, it's easy to forget. Enrique actually did all right initially. He had a couple of half decent seasons before he went off the boil. You know, Sebastian Cuates never really established himself, did he? Downing, you know, would be the first to admit he never came close to, to justifying, you know, the, the outlay. Alexander Doney was a, a backup goalie. Craig Bellamy, I think, was free, wasn't he? And Charlie Adam never really came close to what anyone hoped. From him, so and I think also you know, Camoli was also at the helm running the show when Suarez and Evra all kicked off, and you know he has been very honest about that in the past and said he handled that incredibly badly. So I think you know any evaluation of his time at Liverpool has to include that rather than just the transfer business he did. He brought Michael Edwards to the club, didn't he? Has he did, clubs? yeah, yeah. That is undoubtedly one of the big positives. Yeah, it was the start of the kind of data-led approach, wasn't it? And he was, it was a big part of that. And that's something he's put in place at Toulouse, where I think obviously they won the the French Cup last season. They've had some success there, but yeah, he was it was still very new, wasn't it? When he he brought in Michael Edwards and started to build that data-led approach that FSG was so was so keen to pursue, and of course, you know that ultimately led to to Michael Edwards taking on the top job and and doing the deals that the one Liverpool, the Premier League and the Champions League. So, yeah, I think it's a real mixed bag, I think, when you talk about Camoli. I don't I think it's too simplistic to either label him like 
you know, he certainly wasn't the Messiah and he also wasn't a, a complete flop. There were positives along the way. Yeah, I th- and I think, so. that you made a really good point. That was a very difficult time to be around Liverpool in, <laughs> in any sort of capacity because the smoke was still clearing from the Civil War of Gillette and Hicks and there were so many competing factions. So, yeah, but I mean, should we be scared of Camoli's revenge with Toulouse? <laughs> Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the, the one thing that I would add as well, usually with people like Damien Camoli in, in those roles, when they get sacked, you hear a lot about like sort of the working relationships being bad. There were people at the club that hated him and wanted them out. Didn't really get that with him. It was just purely judged on Carroll, basically Andy Carroll and Stuart Down, and mainly I would say Charlie Adam came for, as, as James said, he sort of hoped he would have done better, but he was a relatively small fee at the time. But it was mainly Carroll and Down, and that was what he was judged on. So and, and you know, Henderson, to, to a large extent, because the, well, the ownership being, yeah. despised Henderson. Yeah, he was. He was being judged on Henderson at the time, which, in retrospect, obviously was a great signing for Liverpool. So, I think I think that needs remembered remembering as well. I don't think you you know you you've seen people like go into other clubs with these sort of big reputations. It wasn't down to the way he handled himself within the club. Um, I think people, from what I can tell, and remember around the time, quite enjoyed working with him. It was just mainly that, you know. And it was at a time as well, I think it just needs remembering as well, that like, yeah, you're coming out of this, the Civil War, but it was right at the beginning of this sort of slightly new approach that Liverpool were just sort of testing the water with. You, I think I think Henderson probably would be maybe one of the first of the sort of data-led players if, if you went back. You know, they, they must have gone into all the data with Henderson at I mean, I'm just guessing there, but it felt like that at the time. I, you know, it was I a new world, wasn't it? I think, I think that was one of the problems, if they didn't. And they trusted Camoli and Kenny. And right. one of the things, the ownership, like, made it clear. That if They were like, if you're going to judge a player by watching them, watch them more than six times. Right. Well, I think the other thing that it does need expressing is that that, you know, some of those signings were Kenny signings as well, weren't they? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Charlie, Ad- he wanted Charlie Adam and he wanted Stuart Downing as well, but obviously Camoli sort of gets attached to Downing particularly. Yeah, because if, um, if you do the statistics on Charlie Adam, the first thing you do is start with the scales, don't you? He always he seems to be able to strike a ball so well for for, um, for Blackpool, but it just when he plays it for Liverpool, it was like, he was kicking a bag of cement, you know what I mean? And um, he just really struggled, I think. And it, it was no surprise that he was one of the first ones that um, Brendan Rodgers let go of when he when he became manager. I know, I know we started this part of the conversation sort of condemning him, but I, I feel like, okay, not everything worked out well. But he was right. You were right to get rid of him at the time because I don't think he was what Liverpool needed. But he's had, you know, quite a varied career in football with quite a lot of hits, quite a lot of misses. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm more sort of. I, I sort of think he. History should probably not remember him as badly as it does. I think personally that what someone like Camoli proves is that the data-led approach, probably in the end, when we have a full sample, will be as hit and miss as the watching players using your eyes, trusting your eyes approach, and probably a combination of those two things will finally be judged to be the best but we're still not at that point yet but I'll ask you the same question James that I asked say Camoli's revenge should we be worried not really not looking at their domestic form at the minute I think they're marooned in mid-table only won two out of nine 
in the French top flight so far this season. So no, I think I I, th- I think it's another good chance for Klopp to be able to use the depth of the squad and and to rotate and rest some key personnel ahead of that Premier League game against Forest on the weekend because we're we're entering quite a brutal schedule now. You obviously got the the Carabao Cup midweek uh, next week, so no, I think I'm sure we'll see people like you know Wataro Endo. I'm sure it'll be you know an opportunity for him. Probably Gerald Kwanzaa again coming into to centre back. Um and it'll be intriguing to see what he does at left back because it is it is a real bitter pill to swallow the fact that Andy Robertson having and needing that surgery on his dislocated shoulder, you know, if if they could have got away without surgery, you maybe would have been looking at a month out, but they you know they decided with all the specialist input that there would have just been too high a risk of him doing it again. So the surgery means we won't see him probably until January at the earliest. So I think you know, I don't think we'll see Costa Simicus playing both Thursday and Sunday, which, and then, it, you know, interestingly, Klopp name-checked Joe Gomez last week as, as as someone who could fill in at left-back. Of course, it's where he, where he first played when he when he came to Liverpool as a teenager from Charlton. Um, and I also think over the next few weeks, at some point, we're likely to see at least one, if not two, of the young left-backs playing as well, with, you know, Luke Chambers at his debut briefly earlier on this season, Callum Scanlon, who is a really you know a young player that the academy staff really rate highly who was brought in from Birmingham City for about half a million quid a couple of years back now he was on the bench last weekend so i think yeah, i think i can see both chambers and scanlon having a part to play in the coming weeks basically two games coming up to lose which we won't lose you wouldn't think and then nottingham forest shown signs of improvement certainly from this time last year and a pretty dogged say yeah that i think you know, I thought they showed signs at the end of last season that they were really improving, which they had to, of course, because otherwise they'd have got relegated. But when they came to Anfield, they were very good. I think they've got some good players. They've obviously spent you know, a lot of money overhauling the squad, arguably two or three times in the space of six months, really. But I think they're a good side, and I think they'll be well clear of relegation this season. That said, I'd expect Liverpool to win at home. I think Liverpool got a great run of games coming up, really. You know, they could go into that Christmas period in a really good position if they take the points that they probably should take. They should be taking maximum points for the next, certainly up to the City game, I would say, uh, at the end of November. So they're in a good position, Liverpool, but a lot of teams are in a good position at the moment. I, I, I think when I watch the other games, I, I think City aren't quite where they were at last season. I think Tottenham obviously started the season really well. Arsenal, I would back them to improve on what they've offered so far. So I think it's going to be quite close, you know, second half of the season. If Liverpool can come out the other side of January in a decent position, looking, you know, way forward, you know, he's always back Liverpool at the back end of the season when they've started it well, wouldn't you? Particularly under Klopp, they've, they've been good in the last sort of two or three months of the, any, the season, mostly in those situations. So, yeah, going to be fascinating to watch. And um, I think Sunday probably is the, is the toughest of those games coming up, actually. Yeah, and James, you'll be giving us your at-the-match verdict immediately afterwards, so everyone should tune into that because it's excellent. Lots of insight from the man on the spot. And that's it for this week on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Simon and to you for joining us. And we'll be back next Wednesday, hopefully with two more victories under our belt. The Athletic.